New York City Arts Radio. Here's the thing. Think heavy and bold. Well, fuck. I mean, we're in New York. Everybody works. I'm an artist and I'm a New Yorker. In every generation, bring something else. That, that's the talent run by artists. Every artistic resource one can See what else we can do with it. Experience the possibilities of life through art. Thank you for listening to New York City Arts Radio. New York City Arts Radio covers stories about what it is to be a visual artist. This episode highlights an incredible story of collaboration between the well-known New York City-based visual artist Ray Smith and the artists and co-founders of Mana Contemporary, Yigal Ozeri and Eugene LeMay. Of Ray's work, New York Times writer Hilary Sheets recently said it is a, quote, contemporary blend of magical realism and modernism, reflecting his bicultural heritage of Mexico and the United States. The story you are about to hear is not so much about the pieces of art Ray makes, but about two types of communities which provide a very special and crucial role in building and maintaining artistic community. I met up with Ray at his home, invited in like an old friend. The walls, bookcases, and shelves covered tastefully with art, mostly appearing of Mexican origin alongside other worldly objects. Together, we walked to Cafe Select. There, we had a conversation about the remarkable story that transpired between Ray and Mana after Hurricane Sandy, in which Ray lost his art studio. We met at Antonio Morado's house for exactly. that dinner party. Yes, which was very sweet, actually. Had the storm already happened? Yes. Okay. So it was... So I was really... already whining about that. I'm Ray Smith. I'm an artist, and I'm a New Yorker. At that dinner, I noticed Ray is adept at great conversation. Whether in his native Spanish or English, he is a force of nature. But what Ray does is make paintings, a great deal of them. They are often portraits and figures painted with vibrant colors on oversized wooden panels or canvases. There's also his larger-than-life-size wooden sculptures, which are made using layer upon layer of wood. Think heavy and bold. I wanted to interview you mostly about that conversation that happened that night about your studio and the destruction from Sandy. What was your studio like before? I've owned that building now for about 13 years, but the studio really hadn't been completely functioning there, let's say, until probably 2005. I need to expand. Ray's studio is in the Gowanus area of Brooklyn, close to the Gowanus Canal. The single-story building has a high ceiling equipped with a disco ball, a half mezzanine, and a yard outside. Besides using his space as an art-making studio, he also houses and supports many artists. For example, Jerry Otero and his organization Creative Youth Inc., which helps marginalized youths experience the possibilities of life through art. He also accommodates the whole Bruce High Quality Foundation collaborative. And the reason that was is because it was a we had to renovate it and they had to do certain things to pass it over to us so it took a while for for us to receive it and then when we moved in there a lot of different projects began which uh, it kind of like became a, a, a bit of a collaborative studio for a bit meaning that that i was using it definitely but the bruce high quality was there also working on certain things and you know there was just a lot of people that were going in and out all of the time we did a project with the bruce high quality called smith umenta which was like their Bruce Annuals, I guess. A lot of different artists showing up and just hanging their work on the walls. And it was a lot of fun. So the whole studio from the time that we moved into it had taken on this special kind of spirit about it. And it was, you know, it was a combination between a studio and a discotheque. And a, so it was a, a very lively place. It just had a, a very particular type of energy to it. Studio collaboration and the general artist community occurring at Ray's studio before Hurricane Sandy was similar in function and philosophy to the goings-on at Mana Contemporary. A million and a half square foot, well, I guess, 
let's call it an artist guild for now, in Jersey City, New Jersey. Here's one of the co-founders, Yigal Ozeri, who is also an artist. Actually, I just saw his work in Madrid at the renowned Museo Thyssen Boromisa. I know Ray from the from the end of the 80s. I was in New York. He shows with with a lot of with Gagosian, with a lot of major gallery, Speroni, and I follow his art. Uh, and he was like always like a little bit like an outsider. He came from Mexico. Yes. Yeah, so I grew, well, first of all, I was born on the border of Mexico and the United States in a small in a town called Brownsville, Texas. I grew up in Mexico City. He was involved with all the group, the big group of uh, of the 80s, including Schnabel, Clemente. All of these artists, he was the youngest in that group. Before we get too far, Mana is an old tobacco factory beside the Journal Square stop of the PATH train and is now what I like to call an artist's island. Using Ray's words, to define Mana is to institutionalize it. It is difficult to say everything about Mana Contemporary as its function changes daily. However, what can be said is that the space is filled with almost every artistic resource one could need. Yigal will explain a bit more and introduce fellow artist and co-founder Eugene LeMay. I met Eugene LeMay uh, two years ago. He invited me to this building and he said, let's do something together. And uh, I knew all the history about Mana and Moishe. This is the same man that owns Moishe Moving, the well-known New York City moving and storage institution. And I, I said the best idea is to let's build the center that will fulfill everything in the art world. It's a community for artists. Many different variations of, of what an artist would need in, in a community. And we have here um, right now 70 artists. We have here exhibition spaces, right now five. We have a foundry, gallery spaces, frame shops, 3D facility. We are a professional storage place. There's a lot of major gallery, museum, and, and artists and individual collector storage their work and their art here. We have food. I, I really believe that people over food have conversations, and it's not a lecture, and it's not one-sided. By having food, you sit and you, and you pass on ideas, and you talk, and, and you, you get the small talk while you get the great ideas. Food is a great informal opportunity meant to be shared. As you recall, this is how I met Ray. Here's the thing. Mana is always looking to improve on ways of creating community. Ray is a community leader. The two coming together on a project was inevitable. Okay, back to how you got met Ray. Isabel, that, that worked for Eugene and me, uh, she was an art dealer and she knew him. She knew him personally and, and one day she invited us to a studio before what's happening in, in, in Sandy and we, we start to talk how we can do something together with him. Ray, besides that he's an artist, he's a collector, he's a curator, but Ray always keep his connection with the young, young generation. And, uh, and uh, he always bring artists to his studio, and this is what's fascinating. He creates community, and that was our fascination with him. A true artist is not one who is inspired, but one who inspires others. Dali. Here is how Eugene describes meeting Ray. So my view of Ray is a little bit different. So I met Ray only about a year and a half ago. I didn't meet him, I met him in Igandun for many years. And for me, bringing people like Ray into, into Mana, it's not, for me it has to fit into the group. I less look at the art, even though I, I, I love Ray's art. But it's not it's not an issue of his art, but there's many great artists out there. There really is. There's a, the world is too many has too many artists in a certain way, but Ray's an amazing artist. But the, but that wasn't the, the the main detail for me. Yes, art is the point here. But how does one make their selection in a city that is filled with so much talent and so many images? 
Well, fuck. I mean, we're in New York. Everybody works on images. New York, which is this is this is the really cool part about New York and living here, is is that this city, for some godforsaken reason, I don't know what it is, for the past 200 and some odd years, has attracted some of the most talented people on the planet. And it's done it consistently, meaning that it, it didn't, it never stopped. They just started coming, and they kept coming, they kept coming, they kept coming. <clears throat> and and still today. Every year, boom, they're springing out of the earth. And that, that, that's the talent. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, that's the, you know, the seductiveness of the city. And it's, and it's the one thing where I think your money should go. Well, maybe I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm just a cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Personality is everything in art and poetry. Gerta. I went for Ray the Man. I really believe in, in his view of the world, how he loved the artists around him, how he, he, you know, a real artist, similar to Egal, is artists, everything about them. It's all around them. It's the way they, they set their table when they put the, the cup on, on, on the table. I mean, it, this, this is what Ray was about for me. And then I looked at him and I saw how he's working with young people and how he's sharing and how he's giving. And then, uh, so that was the first phase for race. I said, I want to do a show because of, of the man, not so much for the art. I was really interested in him. Mana was kind of, it was, it was really sort of like a, a bit of magic. I'd been speaking to them about, they wanted me to do a show there. The idea to do an exhibition with Ray was on the minds of both Yigal and Eugene before the storm. They had seen within Ray's studio like-mindedness with their own thinking as to how his studio should operate, and knew he would fit in. Nailing down the concept of the slated show would soon follow. Well, they wanted me to do something there. We were trying to go over like who was going to curate it, how it was going to get curated, what was going to be the context of the show, what was going to be in it, how the whole thing was going to build itself. And then the last time I saw uh, anybody from Mana was Igal who went out there. And he loved being in the studio at that moment because there was a lot of things going on. The walls are covered, yeah. the floor is covered with sculptures yeah, and stacked paintings. Yeah, and Artists and assistants were there making work. My daughter was going to do a fashion show there, and there was a photo shoot for Bullet magazine. It's kind of like everything was going all functioning on. functioning in space. Exactly, and it was all happening at one time. And um, and then what happened was is that, um, that Egal came out there and saw the studio and saw the energy, and he basically said, okay, I don't want to do like a retrospective show. I don't want to do anything like that. I want to move your studio to Manat. That's what he said. He wanted the energy yeah, he in this said, race. Yeah, he said, I want this whole thing at Manat. In case you missed that, there it was. The work and the energy of Ray's space had captured Yigal and Eugene almost immediately. They wanted to bring Ray's studio to Mana Contemporary. Then that actually kind of like sort of worried me because I thought, well, now that's, that's a maneuver, but if he's so enthused. Anyway, at that particular moment, I began to feel a little, I, I, found, I, I thought, well, now that's a good, interesting context. So now I really did start thinking, okay, well, let's do this show at Mana. We'll move Ray Smith's studio out there for two months and we'll rock and roll. Now, so when, when we came to his studio and we started to design a show, in the middle of, of that, that year, suddenly happened Sandy and, and, and the studio got really messed up. Everything was on tables. Everything was raised, uh, you know, over four feet. All of the paintings that were in the, um, in the storage facilities, with the exception of a few, had all been raised. 
But the water didn't come in four feet, it came in eight feet. It just feet? doubled the scale of what was there. And not only that, but because it goes up that high, then everything that was up was raised. Well, it's all now boats. They're all floating around all over the place because everything has now gone to swimming. Right, right. Right. Because who would assume that it would go so high to loft exactly. things up to so, pull so you've things got, off the wall? Yeah, you've got gigantic wooden sculptures floating around like, like you know, like barges. Or barges. Barges. They are massive. And so they were going around hitting things against the wall and crushing things. All the water entered because of the, the level of the sea or the river. So now it's got to drain via the drainage system of the studio. It started getting clogged, yeah, but it, but what it did also is that it, it, it brought everything to one point. So it was all into the same thing. So that <clears throat> becomes like another dam. This is so intense. Yeah, so, so now you can't get rid of the water because it's all dammed up inside the sewer system, so now you gotta pump it out. Right. So by the time that we got in there, and mind you, the, the water is, is chemicals from the Guanas Canal, Just a super vile. fun site. Sewage from, from everywhere. Neighbor, yeah. The whole neighborhood. And, uh, and all different types of stuff that's all over the place, right? So you just, you're going in there and I can't even imagine, you know, you just can't imagine just toxic. it. I mean, because you're no longer in a studio or anything like that. You are now in a toxic dump, and you're trying to save whatever you think you can save. You're having to kind of like assess at the moment. So it turns into a kind of like a battlefield. You're saying, okay, send that over there, see if we can save that. And then this a just... triage unit of artwork, yeah. Exactly, and then this, you just destroy it. Throw all this away. Did you have to destroy a lot of work? Yeah, we had to destroy quite a bit, but the thing that we were destroying the most was obviously materials. Yeah, so linens and canvases oh, and that all could debilitate types. somebody. It was very depressing. He had to leave his studio. There was no doubt about it. He was faced with the raw reality most had at that time: recovery, and most likely alone. Well, on the contrary, Ray and his studio were now the ones in need, and all the people who he had once given to were certainly going to give back. 15 kids from Creative Youth Inc. showed up to help their generous friend. Then, Ray's friend, who owns a local construction company, came with a team in hazmat suits carrying biocide to combat the blooming mold that was attaching itself to everything, especially fabrics. Mariana, Ray's daughter, was acting as head nurse in the battle to save as much work as possible, despite Ray's impulse to dump what he thought was not worth saving or could be redone. Works in progress were immediately dumped, about 20. Collapsed cardboard tubes holding numerous large paintings were destroyed. Basically, all studio contents had to be washed, dried, and treated with chemicals. Small and large canvases that were stretched on wooden supports had to be taken off, washed, treated, and restretched. Not an easy task with limited hands and limited space. Also, the necessities of Ray's full recovery were no longer available considering the equipment and tools to remake the wooden structures were no longer functioning due to their own waterlogged demise. There was so much in the studio to tackle and most importantly to dry. Due to the quantity of the damaged work, restoring the studio and its contents seemed like an insurmountable obstacle. So you had insurance. Did you have insurance? We had, but it wasn't, it was irrelevant at the tail end of it because basically what they wanted to do is that they wanted to pay us to restore. If we came in and we took pictures of everything, uh -huh. then they would, they would send a conservator. Even if, if we got somebody that sat there and said, this is a total loss, right? Uh, they would sit there and say, no, it's not. So, so then they'd say, okay, well, we need to get it restored and we're gonna send it somewhere to get restored. Then they'd say, well, you're the best restorer because you're the guys that made it. Right. 
so we'll pay you to restore it. And I, and I said, well, if we're restoring, we're out of business then. Right, because you need to be making new, not restoring the old. Exactly, so we had to figure out how that was all gonna happen. Ray likened the whole process to watching yourself bleed and wondering when it was going to stop. Making art is a slow process. The combined time of paintings lost and restoring others would amount to a backtrack of at least three years' time. The storm hit and the studio was out of commission. The idea of moving the studio now appeared to be lost along with it. Perhaps 30 years of art history and future sales were on their way down the drain. However, while paintings and sculptures were taking unmanned pleasure cruises in the newly formed reservoir of Ray Smith's studio. We called them up to see what, what happened. Are you okay? Everything okay? And we, actually, it was, for me, it was like more like a courtesy call. I didn't think for a moment that it was something, it was a disaster. I, I didn't think in those terms, really. And he told me it was a disaster and whatever, and I said, okay. Let's go out and see. It was myself, Egal, and Isabel. We went out to see him. And when I saw the, when I saw his studio and, and the disaster, I knew there was no way an artist of, of with so many years working and so much work over, over you know 30 years span that if we didn't pull him out of there, he would go back to to, to normal life as an artist. I mean, just he would, I would give up. If I were in his shoes, I'd give up. I'd say, fuck it, this is not worth my energy. So I said to Ray, let's take it as it is, what we see here, and let's make a show out of it. As you heard, before the storm, the show was already in the works. The fact that the storm hit did not deter Mana, but gave them another opportunity to do something more than just have an exhibition. First of all, it'll be a good show. Second of all, it'll, it'll pull you out of, out of all this chaos. It'll be part of the process, which me and Igal are always like preachers. The, the word process is like every second word we say. So for me, it was about the process with Ray, Ray with his process outside of uh, Mana and bringing it here, cleaning up the work, putting it on the walls, and, 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 and Ray pulling him out of this, this chaos. And that, of course, naturally went into, let's do a studio, that's, now the friendship has started. And that's what I mean by choosing people that'll fit into the organization. So that's what happened with Ray. It was a very natural for me. I choose, first of all, the person, then I go and see the second phase, which is the art, or, or what you can do or not do with them. Eugene said, you know what, we're gonna risk you. Let's do it, let's move without to get anything. Eugene just send the truck, pull all his work, fix all the stuff. Without that, we, we know, first we, we take care for the artists, we take our family, you know, like you save your family. And that's how you're rescued. Mana, the larger version of what Ray was already doing, swept in and aided Ray where he needed it most. It was a surprise, and ultimately a relief for Ray that they were coming in the nick of time. So I wasn't exactly thinking of, of uh prancing around trying to, you know, do a show, for that matter. I mean, I just knew that we had to do something to try and save our butts or whatever. But basically, at that point, it was like figuring out how we're going to do that. And then uh, Mana sent the trucks over. They said, we want to help you. And so they sent all the... We were already kind of going into that. And so now they said, OK, well, we're just going to keep going with the idea of the show, and you're going to send all the work over here, because what's the difference? Well, now we don't even have to think about what the context of the show is. Now the context of the show is literally try and save this show. The hurricane solidified the original idea of moving Ray's studio to Mana. However, before the exhibition could be a glimmer, there were the very present stages of the recovery process. Stage one, get the work cleaned, dried, and chemically treated. With Ray's extended community, this stage was happening, but there was no room to put anything once it was cleaned. Stage two, get the work out of the studio to be dried, assessed, and accounted for. Mana was crucial in stage two. Without them getting the work out of the studio space, the whole process would have slowed down to a crawl, where speed was crucial. 
Mana used their abundant resources to remake the oversized wooden structures, dry the work, and get the canvases back on stretchers, which, due to their size, can require multiple people. They used their space to make more space for Ray, to restore work and battle the mold. Mana moved, backed, stored, and framed a great deal more works than were in the exhibition, all at their own cost. I think it was one of the most fun shows that I personally have ever done here at Mana, and it had to do with Ray as a person, Ray the man. That was supposed to be the name of the show, somehow it got slipped. The art world and every generation brings something else, and when you saw his work in Mana, you felt so fresh, you know, so felt something that, that is so good, you know, and all the people feel that, you know, and uh, and uh, now Eugene offered him to, to, bring, to bring his whole community, actually, to hear all the young generation to work with him. And it's, basically, it's a free studio, just tables, and, and they come and they work. The exhibition was a triumph beyond the typical show. Ultimately, the work was resurrected for the viewers, and the coverage in the New York Times was more than favorable. Not only did Mana clean Ray's work and exhibit it with great fanfare, Yigal and Eugene added another gem. They said, come, bring your operation here while you get back on your feet. It was an invitation for Ray and his community to occupy one of Mana's spaces until Ray was ready to return to his Guana studio. Ray, too, was thrilled about his overall experience with Yugal and Eugene. Yeah, and what I think is really, really sweet about uh, Mana is that it's actually run by artists. Meaning, yes, clearly they empathized with Ray over his studio situation and loss but also truly understood his needs as an artist, as they too live it. Mana was founded upon their combined knowledge of the necessities of artists, like themselves. This is in the air, you know, it wasn't as though it's just like us. Yeah, this is something that's happening and where artists, I guess, and are figuring that they can, in a sense, kind of invent the institution. We need that kind of like, you know, support to the degree that, that not, not everyone is sitting around there trying to scrounge up the next, uh, the next, you know, tube of titanium white. They know what the process is. And basically, guess what Mana wanted? Mana kind of wanted what we were doing at the studio already anyway. It's a large collaborative space where artists would, in essence, be the guys that, that you know, would have their space because the museums have their space, right? Yes. And every, all these other people have their Everybody space. Everybody has their space. Except that we're the guys that are out on the street, you know. Paying two rents. But yeah, paying two <laughs> rents. There you go. The reciprocal relationship that we speak of here between artist and institution is not typical, but distinctive. I think also more than usual in the art world, we give a lot, but we also ask back a lot. And this is something very unique, because usually it's all about money. I'll give you something that you need, and you give me something that we need here, that the center needs. And with Ray, the same thing happened. We gave to him, and he gave back. There's much more value in that in the end, because usually in the art world, it's just about taking. The gallery tries to take from the artist, takes 50%, but what is he really giving? And the artist works like, like a slave just to, to, to make that show. So here, it's, a bit, it's just the opposite. Yeah, I'll give to you, or you can give back to me. Are you going to get back into the Gowana space at some point? Yeah, I think so. I, I just, I mean, obviously, yes. My daughter, in a sense, is kind of going over there to try and rebuild the spirit of the place. Oh, and, uh, and I think that that's really kind of more what's happening at this point. We just want to sort of like see what else we can do with it. I think it will become more of a collaborative place, you know. 
where we'll probably have events and pop-up shows, and certainly I'll paint there, and we'll have spend, you know, we'll we'll do work there and all that kind of stuff. But I think that that just now in the kind of sort of retrospect as to what had happened there and what the kind of spirit that it had had and things like that, I said, and and also. The funny thing is, is that the studio, in a, in a kind of odd way, was kind of going into the sort of same direction as Manai's, sort of proposing as a art center. At this time, Mana is providing Ray with a studio space large enough to make everything he needs to create. Ray still uses the Guana space to make enormous paintings that span the whole studio wall, to exhibit other artists' works, and to have large gatherings. Mariana and Ray recently hosted an exhibition there thanking those who contributed to Ray Smith's studio, Post Sandy, while simultaneously congratulating the Bruce High Quality Foundation on their Brooklyn Museum show. With each event, they are reviving the space back to life. Rebuilding and joining these two extraordinary visions of community was an emotional experience for all involved, especially as this newly formed greater community continues to grow and regenerate for the next generation of artists. Here, it wasn't the discussion of money, but improvisational use of blood and sweat equity to revive something that will keep giving. Thank you, and have a good day at the studio. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to New York City Arts Radio. You can stream this and other episodes for free on our website, nycartsradio.com. There, you can also submit your email or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Vine. Our utmost gratitude goes out to our guests, Ray Smith, Yigal Ozeri, and Eugene LeMay. This episode of NYC Arts Radio is made by audio editor Colin Bright of Goldcrest Post New York, independent sound engineer Nick Hard, sound designer John Wiggins, who created the original score and made the whole show balance, and me, Allison Malinsky, host and producer. For their unwavering support and advice, thank you. To Tim Brain, Sebastian Errazuriz, Jean Cisson, Goldcrest Post New York, the Malinskis, and Norman Vallalta.